This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. In the next 19 seconds, you could sell your home. Okay, it's, I mean, it's not going to sell your home, I mean, this, but it, you're going to take a big step toward getting it sold. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com and find an agent selected by my team, a professional who shares your values and speaks the truth. Sell your home fast and for the most money. Get moving at realestateagentsitrust.com. Hello, America, and welcome to the program. Glad that you are here today. We've got a lot to uh, go over. We're going to start with what happened last night with our very good friend, Mark Levin. He said last night who he is going to vote for. And I think it surprised some in his audience. It didn't surprise me, but it did surprise some in his audience last night. He's going to vote for Donald Trump. What is Glenn Beck going to say about that today? Let's begin there right now. I will make a stand. I will raise my voice. I will hold your hand. Because we have won. I will beat my drum. I have made my choice. We will overcome. Because we are The fusion of entertainment and enlightenment. This is... The Glenn Beck Program. Part of the, uh, the oddity of this election is people projecting their own hate and views and positions on other people. They can as they wish. But those of you who, who are intellectually honest, and most of you are in my audience, you know the difference. And so I think this is a binary election, at least for the country. Either Trump or Clinton will be president of the United States. I happen to think that Trump, despite the CNN poll and so forth, has a lot of work to do to make up ground, particularly in these battleground states. But Hillary's so awful, I just don't know. But this, I'm not in the prediction business. It doesn't matter. So I'm going to vote for Donald Trump. I'm going to wind up voting for Donald Trump on Election Day. I take no responsibility for the dumb things he says, or the dumb things his surrogates say. Just as I took no responsibility for the dumb things any candidate I vote for says. Whether it's Congress, Senate, Supervisor, State's Attorney, other presidential candidates. I have no control over these people. I don't run their campaigns, and I don't advise them. I may advise them on the air, but I don't advise them personally. I don't even know who their surrogates are. This is... This is the kind of conversation America should be having today. I disagree with Mark Levin. But we see this differently. And I see his position as completely reasonable. Um, He's not taking responsibility, just like you're not going to take responsibility for what Donald Trump does or doesn't. People who vote for Hillary Clinton... The problem is, if you vote for these guys, like people who voted for uh, Barack Obama, all of a sudden, um, they were, had to take responsibility, and so they would defend anything and everything that he did. 
No. I was backed into a corner. I only had that. Or, you know, look at Lawrence Jones, who works for the Blaze. He, he would campaign for Barack Obama the first time. Then he saw what he was, and he was like, oh, wait a minute, that's not what I was buying. And he was honest enough to walk away and go, no, 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 that's not what I bought. He was reasonable, and he talked about the hatred on both sides. Last night, oh, the email, uh, the Facebook, Twitter, when he announced this, oh my gosh, the hatred for him and the hatred for me was at all-time levels. How did you get? How did I get? Yeah, how did you get blamed for Mark, Mark Levin? Oh, I didn't get blamed for Mark Levin. I got, well, see, he's smart. You're a dummy. You know, okay. that kind of stuff. Okay. Um, and so let me just address this. Um, because everybody from the people who were losing hope to people who are gaining hope, all the way to the people who have let the hate overpower them to the point to where... You cannot have a differing opinion than them. Otherwise, you are a traitor. Uh, and even, even to the uh, far right or far left of those people are the ones that if you don't get into line and say and do exactly what they expect, they will do all in their power to destroy you for the rest of their life. That's not who we are. Um, I have respect for Mark because he didn't have to say this. He could have just shut up. He didn't have to say this. But he believes in the American people and he believes in his audience and his audience is fair enough to accept his decision as that's his decision. He's being transparent. He's being real. And he's made a gun to his head decision. What do you do? He really is choosing the lesser of two evils in his mind. He's like, I'm looking at these. They're both bad. Which one is the least worse? That's completely different than this guy's our savior. Jefferson and Adams feuded for years. The things, do you remember some of the things, Pat, that they used to say when they were running against each other? I think it was Adams that said, that if Jefferson gets in, your daughters aren't safe, they'll be raped, and there will be heads on pikes in the streets. Rivers of blood. Weren't there some uh, hermaphrodite references thrown in there? Uh Uh, I think Adams was a hermaphrodite hermaphrodite with neither the... The uh, sense of a man or the... Or the the softness of a woman. woman, Something like that, yeah. (laughs) Like crazy stuff. And they hated each other. But they were instrumental. The two of them were good friends. The two of them were side by side all the way through the Revolution and Constitutional Convention. And then when it came to policies, they let policies destroy them. In the end, they, start, they got back together and they started writing letters to each other and they healed somewhat. And they died on the same day, July 4th, on the 50th anniversary. Mm-hmm. Of the signing of the Declaration of Independence. Jefferson's last words, I think it was Jefferson's last words was... I think it was Adams. Was Adams? Jefferson, Jefferson lives. lives. Yeah. Um, they disagreed. And yet, we look at both of them as patriots. 
And they argued and argued and argued. And you know what? Their argument was over substance. They thought one was going to take them back to the monarchy and the other one was just going to take us into Bedlam. Um, They actually believed it. But they also wasted a lot of time and energy. But we remember both of them as patriots. The other one was Jefferson, Thomas Paine, and Washington. And I think this is a more apt example. Washington, when Jefferson uh, was not connected, um, he was a deep believer in faith and God and divine providence. Those are his words with firm reliance on divine providence. Um, So he was a firm believer in divine providence, but he wasn't a guy who was as deeply spiritually connected as Washington was. Washington being out on the battlefield, you know, coming back with bullets in his hat, bullet holes in his, in his jacket, um, never being shot, um, never being wounded, um, seeing divine providence and the, and the full hand of God. He talked about that a lot, that I've witnessed the hand of God. Um, he was more apt to understand how you had to be good as a people to be able to win. And he, he's the guy who came up with the merit badge and the, the purple heart, which was for doing something that God would find pleasing and would bring favor upon our army. He did not believe that we're on a mission from God, so get out of our way. He believed we had to, our soldiers had to go to church on Sunday, even during the war, had to go to church on Sunday. There was no swearing, no cussing. He wanted you to read the Bible, um, and he wanted you to be able to do something virtuous or uh, with merit that would bring the favor of God on our cause. So, Jefferson and Thomas Paine, who later on in life became a full-fledged atheist, um, they didn't see the world the same way, Jefferson and especially Paine and Washington. And so when the French Revolution happened, Paine and Jefferson said, we've got to go over. Paine, because he was so disconnected from God and the spirit and that feeling and that understanding of firm reliance on the protection of divine providence— didn't see a difference between our revolution and the French Revolution because he said they're saying the same things. Washington's point was, yes, they're saying the same things, but not exactly. They are not moved by God. They are not a a people that are being led by virtue and merit and honor and integrity and humility, and it will end horribly. Thomas Paine actually said, I can't believe you, out of all the people, you would betray the revolution. You would become a traitor. That's quite a charge to make to George Washington. He went over. And he actually wrote several um, pamphlets on the glories of the French Revolution until they started beheading people. And that's when he got it. And he was like, holy cow, this is not the same. 
And when he said, wait a minute, wait a minute, we didn't, we didn't do this. We didn't execute people. <laughs> we didn't have guillotines. This is not the way the revolution's supposed to go. That's when Robespierre looked at him and said, you've betrayed the revolution. We've got to do what we've got to do. That's when he ended up in the Bastille. And Washington never came for his help. Now, why do I bring these up? Because without pain, there would be no Declaration of Independence. There would be no revolution. Without Thomas Paine, Washington could not have crossed the Delaware. Without Washington, we would not have won. Without Washington, we wouldn't have been the military that was virtuous and decent. We wouldn't have won. It took both of those guys, even though they were deeply divided, they came together when it counted. And coming together now, in my opinion, is not what counts. Coming together when the heat is really on, when one of these two is elected and standing for principles, that's when it matters. I strongly disagree with Hannity, and I have from the very beginning. But Trump is a friend of his, and he trusts him. I don't. Mark stood for principles as long as he could, and now he feels the only way, the only thing left for him to do to be able to be a service of the republic is to vote for Trump. And as I have said since the nomination, I understand. I understand that people love Trump and feel that he speaks for them, but I also understand that many people really have a problem voting for him, but they don't see any other option. But there's a third. In the service of my country, and because of what I believe about both of these people, Trump and Clinton, I find myself now as the only national radio talent to be standing firmly against both of them. We always knew we would be alone. We just didn't think it would happen this quickly, but we are now officially alone. Small government, equal rule of law, every jot and tittle of the Constitution without anger or passion. I'm I'm not saying these things because I'm angry, stubborn, a sellout, or a Clinton supporter. Far from it. I have warned about Clinton since 1992. Pat and I were on the air. We have stood against the Clintons since the 90s. I know them inside and out. I know exactly who she is. But I also, for the last six years, have warned about the rise of fascism and totalitarianism. And I believe we are close to fascism, totalitarianism, or, or some sort of oligarchy in both parties with both candidates. And I take my duty as a watchman on the tower seriously. And if you know where that phrase comes from, you know the blood of all who could hear the watchman's warning. If he doesn't raise his alarm, that blood will be upon his head. If he raises the alarm and the people choose to ignore it, that's their prerogative. I have said this to you since 2005. I have a grave responsibility at this time. You may not think so. You may not think so. I do. If I'm wrong, believe me, I am relieved. It's not a popular position. 
it's been, been very hard on me and my family and my business. It isn't good for business because whomever wins, if I'm right, I'm the first one to lose. But this is the time for those to speak out because I believe both of these candidates will try to silence people who disagree with them. Here's how I see this. If you believe differently than me, by voting the way you will, you don't lose your, sh- your soul. But people like me, honest believe, we honestly believe something too. We believe that bloodshed, rage, and evil is being fostered by both of these candidates. If we vote for one of these two, with that as what we truly believe, we lose our soul. Will you give us the same respect, Trump supporters and Clinton supporters, that we will afford people who disagree with us, you and Mark Levin? Will you give us the same respect? Because there are millions of us who are listening right now. Now this. We all make mistakes. Blinds.com knows this, and they know that picking out new blinds can seem a little intimidating. Blinds.com has changed the way window treatments are purchased, and they make it simple and mistake-free. Tanya and I FaceTime with Blinds.com design consultant who took pictures of the room and then superimposed the images of the uh, curtains that we wanted, and we loved it. And we couldn't believe how it transformed the room so simply. Their 100% satisfaction guarantee means if you mismeasure, you pick the wrong color. They will replace the blinds for free. Get the made-to-order custom blinds without paying the custom prices at blinds.com and do it at the comfort of your own home. Check out the Labor Day sales event at blinds.com now through September 8th. Save up to 35% site-wide when you use the promo code BECK. Go to blinds.com use the promo code BECK through September 8th for up to 35% off site-wide. That's blinds.com, promo code BECK, blinds.com. See them for details now. The Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. I am a big fan of disruptive ideas, and this year, Casper Mattresses is on the top of my list. Hi, it's Glenn Beck, and I love sleeping on my Casper mattress. Casper is an obsessively engineered mattress at an unbelievably fair price. It combines springy latex and supportive memory foams to create an award-winning sleep service with just the right sink and just the right bounce. And better yet, it breathes so you don't wake up drenched in sweat. Time Magazine named it one of the best inventions of 2015. Try Casper for 100 nights risk-free in your home. And if you don't love it, they're going to pick it up and refund everything. Imagine that, a company so confident that their product is what you want, that they'll offer a 100% refund. Made in America, with free shipping and returns to U.S. and Canada. Get $50 off of any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash glen and use the promo code glen. Terms and conditions do apply. Go to casper.com slash glen, casper.com slash glen. You're listening. 
listening to the Glenn Beck Program. You know, I thought about this last night. With an exception of my marriage and my family, the only thing of value that I've ever done has always required me to walk alone for at least quite a while. But those things that I did, those are the only things that I feel like were of value. And I thought about it last night as I heard Mark Levin say this. I thought, boy, you'd think you'd be accustomed to being alone. But you're really, you're not. You never get used to it. I don't think you're supposed to get used to it. So then I thought about history. George Washington was alone. Abe Lincoln was alone. Gandhi was alone. Bonhoeffer was alone. Martin Luther King was alone. And who stood on the other side? Wilson, Margaret Sanger, Stalin, Hitler, Mussolini... King George III, they all had crowds. They were surrounded by crowds. If you feel alone, just know this, you're not. You're not. You're in very good company. As long as you're doing it for principles, you're in the best company. Can we get this out of the way? Um, so you're comparing yourself oh, shut to up. Washington shut up. and all Trump no, 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 no. I Hitler? Is that yeah, no, I'm not saying that I'm only Washington. I'm saying I'm a combination of Washington, <laughs> Gandhi, Bonhoeffer, and King. Oh, okay. So and and, the, and uh, anybody who disagrees with me, I've, I left out Mao. Oh, okay. I have to put Mao in there, too. And, and maybe Jabba the Hutt, <laughs> uh, Darth Vader. Boba Fett? No, Boba Fett. He's, he was alone. He was kind of alone. Everybody was him, so he was really kind (laughs) of alone. Well, there's a big crowd of him. (laughs) Right. This is a deeper question. We got to get into that a little bit. The Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. Glenn Beck program. I want to read a. Uh, I want to read a, a a letter from a mayor to her town. It's a actually it's a guy. Um, listen to this. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Did your mom teach you this? Did you grow up believing in the motto like it was an all-powerful shield against bullies and trolls? All my life, I've walked around with at least some sense of confidence that words wouldn't hurt me. I'm rubber, you're glue. Whatever you say bounces off of me and sticks to you. Let me depart from the letter here for a second. I still use that one today. I I know. It's that true. You know, when I read this yesterday, Mm -hmm. I read this letter, and I thought of that, and I thought, Philosophically, that's true. Mm-hmm. I never, I always just thought it was a stupid, childish thing to say, but it is true. Whatever you say, <laughs> you create in your own self. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it's beautiful. Shut up. 
Uh, uh, for we're, the, we're not saying we're actually rubber or glue, though. You're just saying that theor- in theory. And the words theory, don't actually, actually bounce I believe, off. Philosoph- Yoda and I could have a good conversation about that. It, you know, I'm rubber, you're glue. How would Yoda say it, though? Rubber am I glue you are? All right, okay. It bounces <laughs> off me, it does. It sticks to you. <laughs> Doesn't really work as well with no. Yoda, but... Okay, so back to the letter. For seven years, I've been mayor, and I've certainly had my fair share of complaints. I've read some heated emails. I've been called a plethora of names. Believe me, I understand that comes with a job. But for most of the times, I've been blessed to be the recipient of kindness and goodwill. Even in the face of strong disagreement, we have come together with civility to work out our differences. But recently, I've noticed that the tide seems to be turning in public dialogue, like a sewer leak deep beneath the surface. I feel a coarseness invading so many aspects of our life. Even in our safe haven here, a place known around the world for its kindness and concern for others, the hate is seeping in. For example, recently I received an email message from a citizen that ended with this line. Please, let this be the issue that sinks the mayor and his awful arrogant deputy. Oh, please, oh, please. Let them both be stripped of their clothing and carried out the building. (laughs) Similar to this email, in last month I've heard accusations and disparaging comments of a very different nature than previous public dialogue. Engagement on all platforms, from social media to civic meetings, are more sarcastic, biting, impatient, rude, aggressive, and often all too personal. In all the years of me being mayor, I can strongly say this surge of negativity is not normal for our community. So what is happening. I believe a majority of this comes from the top down. Much of it has to do with the trickle-down effect of the conversation happening on the national stage. As we listen to those who have platforms as presidential candidates, we hear them use words that tend to be more cutting, more personal, more filled with spite. The disparaging remarks in our own community are echoes of what we hear every single time we turn on the news, read a paper, scroll through the Twitter timelines. It's almost always where we engage in our presidential discussion. The name-calling, bigotry, hate, attacks. The leaders on our national stage insist on using more and more syllables to pollute the air with words that incite, provoke, and demean. Not only do we need to worry about the Supreme Court nominations, the economy, and the war, we now have to worry about the impact of negativity. From what I'm seeing in our community, it's as if the two candidates from the major political parties have issued us all a license to be rude without the thought of consequence. I am personally calling on our national leaders to understand how their contaminated actions and work seep into their constituencies and how much we suffer because of it. I'm calling for a more civil discussion on issues like health care, immigration, national security, and jobs. We need them to, uh, to take responsibility for changing the public discourse, not only nationally, but everywhere in our states, our cities, and our homes. I also call upon my fellow elected local leaders and residents to be the voice of civility. As a county, as a state, as a community, we need more unity and less divide. If we can't expect decency from the top, let's start it from the bottom. Despite what our well-intentioned mothers taught us, words do hurt. They hurt all of us. Although I've experienced years of decent Um, discourse, I worry now that those days are over. We have a lot to lose in this election, but let's not lose our hearts as well. John Curtis, mayor of Provo City.
He is absolutely right. And this is where I believe the hope will come from. I have a friend who lived in um, uh, Provo by the mountains. And she said it was the day after the 2012 election. And, um, you know, had a hard time believing that we elected him a second time and we were clearly a socialist nation. And that we were going down and, you know, you remember how you felt if you were, if you were conservative. You remember how you felt the day after the 2012 election. It was just devastating. We couldn't even do the show. Yeah, I know. I did. You, you did guys, by yourself. Yeah. Um, we were there. No, no, no. No, I asked you guys not to do it because you guys were so, I said, we'll put the entire nation on suicide watch. Um, but um, she said, I got up that morning and she said, I was praying and I was looking out the window and the sun was coming up. And she said, because of the mountains, the sun was only you know, comes up in one little shaft before it comes over the mountain because there's a cut in the mountain. It comes down in light on a shaft. And she said, I was watching the sunrise and she said, I saw this one shaft of light and it came down on one house. And that shaft of light hit that one house. And as I watched it, it grew from that house to the next house to the next house to the next house. And she said, this is what we have to remember. That it's what we do in our own house. And it spreads from there. And the sun does come up the next day. And we're going to be fine. But darkness, I fear, also spreads the same way. And that's what's happening we have had, and, and I will tell you, I, you know, I see it all the time, and this is why, um, you know, I, I try to be more like George Washington. I'm a million miles away, but he's my hero. He's my archetype, and um, I try to live a life that could be somewhat as honorable as him, and I don't, I don't, I don't even get close to making it because he has such a high standard. Um, but I try. And the reason, the reason why I felt discouraged at times is because of my past. My past of alcoholism has, well, up until Trump started saying that I'm drinking again, um, that my past of alcoholism has pretty much been erased because I've lived my life with integrity. Um, but I didn't live my life. I lived my life in such a way that my te- integrity could be questioned because of what I did on television. And I don't like that. And that's why I've always thought to myself, I can't, I'll never get to the Washington place because he never soiled his integrity. He was always a man of integrity. But you know what? We're all like that. We're, we're all, we all have done things in the past. We all have um, come from a place of harshness. 
And I see now people saying, oh, yeah, sure. Well, so-and-so is saying it. Yeah, well, you can't trust them because look at what all the trouble they did. We all caused trouble. We all did. All of us are responsible for this. All of us. At some level or another, whether it was just our inaction. I was talking to a guy, hard-working, blue-collar guy. He was, he was at the set. And he came back, and we were standing by the loading dock on, over the weekend. And we were talking. He said, Glenn, I was working my whole life. And up until about eight years ago, six years ago, he said, I didn't know Jack. He said, I wasn't paying attention at all. And he was feeling really bad. And I said, dude, because most of us did that, we trusted. We trusted that things that we all pretty much were the same and that we were all pretty much wanting the same thing. And we all believed the same things in the Declaration of Independence and Constitution. And when they were violated, we didn't really notice them being violated because we weren't on top of it. We weren't paying attention. We were allowing somebody else to take care of it. And as I know, when you're not watching the candy store, when if you're running a business and you're not checking on that business all the time and saying, show me your work, show me the receipts, show me the books, open them up. If you're not doing that all the time, the best of people, the best of people go wrong for a myriad of reasons. And most times it's not with a nefarious heart. It's just whatever. And we, as a people, took our eye off the ball and we trusted people. And now here we are. So what are we going to do? Can we stop enough and say, I don't want to play that game anymore. I don't want to be a part of it. And I'll take my lumps. You can, you can call me name, whatever. You can see. I, I, that is the man I was yesterday. And I'm not an entirely new man, but I'm on a journey trying to be a better man, trying to be a better citizen, trying to be a better father, trying to be a better American, trying to be somebody who actually will listen will we'll have more compassion and will try to work with anyone who sees that the freedom of all men must not be violated. Can we get there? Yes, we can. If we all choose to be like the mayor of his town the mayor of Provo. Notice there wasn't anything divisive one way or another. He took both sides and made it about him and the people who live in his town. We ask them to be, behave, but we can't change them. Can we change ourselves? That answer is yes, and that's what always made America great. Now this. Several large hotel chains across the country have been involved in credit card data breach. If you've stayed at a major hotel for the last few, um, you probably uh, should find out if your data has been breached. If you have, you know, somebody is using your uh, card information uh, uh, to get into your bank accounts or to uh, open up uh, new accounts and new credit cards. This is why I have LifeLock. LifeLock scans hundreds of millions of transactions each second is phenomenal to me. 
If they detect that your information is being used, they'll send you alert. Did you open this credit card account? Did you apply for this? If you say yes, they leave it alone. If, they, if you say no, I didn't, they help clean that mess up and they get it as early as anyone possibly can. Nobody can stop all identity theft, monitor all transactions at all businesses, but they are the best available. It is LifeLock. Memberships start at $9.99. You can go to LifeLock.com or call 1-800-440-4936. It's 1-800-440-4936. Use the promo code BECK. Get 10% off your LifeLock Ultimate Plus membership. 1-800-440-4936. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. I, okay, so Barbara Streisand is at it again. Why do people on the left always do this? That if so-and-so gets elected, I'm leaving the country. Yeah, the one I remember best was Alec Baldwin. Yeah. Was at the 06 election with, with uh, Bush? Bush. Yeah, I think Barbara Streisand has said it before. Amy Schumer is the latest one. Uh, comedian. Oh, oh, she's leaving. She's too? now leaving. Yeah, which Good. is again. I, no, I mean, this is, this is the fact. Uh, like, it's like it just. That's just, enough to make me vote for Trump. Exactly. <laughs> Thank that's you. Almost me enough to push me over too. the edge. Why? why Get is, out. Why do they me do too. this? I mean, if you're serious, like, if if you know, I, I'm not leaving the country. You know how I feel. I'm not leaving the country unless I have to. Unless you know, the cover of night, uh, <laughs> because you know the camps are being built for me. Uh, but uh, and you guys. Too. There would be the I don't even know who this guy is that we do the right. show with every day. I, anyway, this, uh, I mean, we're we not leaving, we're not leaving the, the country. We strongly disagree. We're not going to leave the country, whichever one of them is, is uh, elected. And I think they're horrible. Why do the people on the left always do this? I don't know. And, and one of the worst things about politics is it just ruins some of the entertainment that you love. It does. And it's like uh, Amy Schumer, and I, it's not popular to say it to a conservative argue, uh, audience by any means. Uh, but her transition into annoying liberal activists is like one of the worst things of the past like year, because you li- her early stand up is legitimately brilliant. She is not just some idiot. Well, you'd never uh, know it. You'd cause... never know it now because all she does is talk about freaking Awful. Uh, gun control and how evil Republicans are well, and, and how she's a victim to a 12-year-old movie reviewer because he called her a name. And, beer. and it's like, oh, it's just, it's infuriating. <laughs> oh but she legitimately brilliant her early stand-up stuff. And it Hard. sucks. Like they, we, they get sucked into this political world and everybody gets ruined. Everybody gets ruined. And it just, it really, I mean, despite the fact that our country's going to die, it's really a bad part of our society right now. A lot of people think that about us, though. I mean, we started out in 2000. It was a completely different show. You read my first book, I talk about how much I don't like people like me on the radio now. I mean, if you read what I started out to do in 2000, it ain't this. September 11th changed me. Right, and and it's okay. So if you really believe those things... Now would be the time to speak out, I guess. Yeah, I suppose. Although you are, of course, a political talk show. Yes, yes, you know, yes, yes. That's why I like Jim Gaffigan. I can, I can watch Jim Gaffigan with anyone, and we're all going to laugh, and that's all we're going to do. We're not going to argue over it. This is 
The Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. Hello, America. You know, when, uh, when there was any brush with the Klan, we heard about that with the Republicans nonstop. Uh, everybody started investigating and everything else. Did anybody notice that the Communist Party has endorsed Hillary Clinton? And uh, <laughs> nobody has yes. said anything about that extreme on the parties. But what's to worry about with the Communist Party? Nothing. Also, speaking of communist, unions have been an influence uh, in America on elections. Good portion of it outside of the elections have been, has been positive, but there is a dark side. Today, the second installment of our serial on unions will tell you about the history of violence within America's unions. But first, we learned that Donald Trump has, a, has an interesting definition of cyber warfare, and some new polls are out. We go there right now. of entertainment and enlightenment. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Let's start with Donald Trump yesterday talking about cyber warfare. To stay on ISIS a little bit, because this is a really, I think this is an important topic, and it's certainly at the, it's, it's one of the national security threats that our country faces today. You have described at times different components of a strategy, military, cyber, financial, and ideological. Can you just expand on those four a little bit? Well, that's it. And, you know, cyber is becoming so big today. It's becoming uh, something that a number of years ago, a short (laughs) number of years ago, wasn't even a word. And now the cyber is so big. And, you know, you look at what they're doing with the Internet, how they're taking, recruiting people Mm -hmm. through the Internet. And part of it is the psychology because so many people think they're winning. And, uh, you know, there's a whole big thing. Even today's psychology, where CNN came out with a big poll, their big poll came out today that Trump is winning. It's good psychology, you know. It's good psychology. Yeah. Yeah. I know that for a fact because people that didn't call me yesterday, they're calling me today. So that's... It's the way life works, right? And that's what he thinks about cyber warfare, right there. The whole even know what he you know, thing. The cyber is very well, the, big, right? The cyber now. is very big. Cyber, cyber is very big. Two years cyber. ago, that word didn't even exist, but now the cyber. Now the cyber, cyber is. Uh, it's taken over. Gosh. The cyber is. And, and to be honest about his opinion here for a second, because obviously he butchers the answer and says the cyber. He's talking about the internet, like you know, he had as like a hotmail account and just discovered it or something. But I don't think he uses. I don't think he uses the internet. Honestly, I don't think... He's tweeting every five seconds. He's using it somehow. Uh, yeah, I guess so, just on his phone. But I don't think he has... I don't think he logs on to the internet at his desk. I don't think he has a computer at his desk. I don't think I, I don't. I, but, I mean, like, he's talking about it in a clunky way, which is what everyone's bringing up about this, which, you know, is the way, is the way Donald Trump talks about things, obviously. But he seems to... I mean, by his answer, and maybe I'm reading this wrong, but he seems to think cyber warfare is... 
recruiting ISIS members yes. on the Internet, which yes. is not what cyber warfare is at all. No, in fact, just we a, are in cyber warfare right now with Russia. Right. Like that. We're and talking about hacking China. and and penetrating, yeah. you know, uh, you know, IT networks and stealing Correct. things. We're not talking about That's exactly what he did with the nuclear triad. Yeah, the nuclear is the big part of the nuclear triad. The nuclear is it's so big and so powerful. It's, he did the, yeah, the exact same answer almost. Same answer. He doesn't seem to know what <laughs> cyber is other than it he has to relate to computers. He doesn't want to. He doesn't want to. He is, look, I mean, that's when he offered, what's his name, up in Ohio, the vice presidential candidacy. He said, you take care of everything else, foreign, domestic, and war? And the cyber. I think <laughs> and he said, uh, and I will... And I, I, I'll, I'll just make America great. Basically, I just want to give speeches. I want the fun part of right. being president. You do all the business stuff because I don't want to do that. Uh, there's a couple of polls out. And I want to go over some polls here. Um, um, the, the, our, our signals are mixed here. And, and I want to ask you, who do you think is going to benefit most from People saying, oh, no, I'm, I'm not for Clinton or I'm not for Trump. But they actually are. They just don't want to say it out loud. I think, there's, I think there's a possibility that these polls don't really reflect the truth. Because look at how many people, you know, don't want to be against Trump or for Trump because they're going to get bashed online. Mm-hmm. So are people being honest about this? And which one do you have you read anything about this, too? Because you watch the the uh, the polls and, you know, read up on the methodology. Is there a concern that polls are going to swing one way or the other towards the end because people aren't saying they don't want to admit it? I, I mean, I think that argument is made by both sides when they're rooting for their side. Right. Um, it was made heavily about Trump in the primaries. And while Trump won the primaries, it did not show up in the primaries. Uh, most um, uh, most of the time, Trump actually underperformed his polling in the primaries. How does that translate to the general? We don't know yet. It could it could wind up being a completely different dynamic. Mm. But Trump was winning, uh, you know, the polls by even larger margins than he won a lot of the states in the primaries. Did that take into account the cyber? Fifty four percent. Now listen to this. Fifty four percent of Americans approve uh, of the job that Barack Obama is doing. But 65% say we're on the wrong track. So how's that possible? Um, 54 approve. 65% say we're on the wrong track. And 74% say they want major changes to the way our government works. I think we should define that a little bit. Oh, yeah. What, yeah. what does that mean right. exactly? I want hope and change. To what? Um, I read, and we're going to get into this uh, later because I'm having Stu going over these polls uh, because, quite honestly, I don't believe, I think that these were skewed in their wording. Um, I, there's a story on Vox that came out a while ago, uh, and it is the rise of American authoritarianism. And I just want you to listen to this. Um, um, what's made Trump's rise even more puzzling was the support seems to ca- come across demographic lines, education, income, age, even religiosity. And usually um, it uh, demarcates the candidates. 
And whereas most Republican candidates might draw a strong support from just one segment of the party base, such as Southern evangelicals or coastal moderates, Trump does surprisingly well from the Gulf close to Florida to the towns of upstate New York, and he won a resounding victory in the Nevada caucuses. So this has been out for a while. Perhaps strangest of all, um, it wasn't just Trump, but his supporters to have seemed to come out of nowhere, suddenly expressing in large numbers ideas far more extreme than anything that has risen to such popularity in recent memory. In South Carolina, a CBS News exit poll found that 75% of Republican voters supported banning all Muslims from the United States. 75%. They found that a third of Trump voters support banning gays and lesbians from the country. What? What? And 20% in South Carolina said Lincoln shouldn't have freed all the slaves. Now, I looked these numbers up, and I want Stu to do this. I looked these numbers up. I could not find the Lincoln freeing the slaves. What I did find was a question that said, should the North have won the Civil War? Well, that's a different question. Yeah, it is. For for Southerners, they do not look at that war as slavery. They look at it as states' rights. Again, the source here is Vox. I know, I know, I know. If you look at this uh, story, have you read it yet, Stu? Just, I mean, I just flipped okay, through just it. Flip through it. If, I... you, if you look through this story, um, they are, they're talking about how there is this undercurrent in uh, uh, American politics now of people that want a strongman leader. And they want somebody to, to um, uh, uh, implement changes that they feel are great, but nobody can really define those changes. And they want somebody just to go in and blow it all up and get this, uh, and get this done. And when we're going to get into this after Stu has a chance to look at all of the research to make sure that it that it's actually bears fruit on this, this is happening on both sides of the aisle where people are wanting a strongman. They want somebody just to get it done. This is what we've warned about and is what my major concern is. And the thing that I just want you to hear the bell ringing of warning. We have a chance of going into some oligarchy under Hillary Clinton and some. And, and you know, it's funny is this audience will not roll their eyes when I say that. This audience would not roll their eyes when I said and because I fought against people are saying, um, uh, you know, uh, what's going to happen is Hillary Clinton is going to win the nomination and then she'll, uh, the FBI will arrest her and then he'll suspend the next uh, 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 presidency and he'll just take it over. And I'm like, no, he's not going to do that. He's not going to do that. But there are a lot of people, these same people who are voting with the right this time, they believe that about Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama. You can't shake them off of that. But they won't. They will roll their eyes and laugh at even the possibility that it could come from the right. That's crazy. You have to recognize how fragile our country is right now. I was trying to come up with the things on what are the biggest, what are the biggest things that, what are your top five issues? What's the number one thing that you guys say is? What's the number one thing on your list that you say? Uh, the, the, the president has got to be this or has to be good at this issue. 
What is it? Anybody know? We had, I was thinking about this yesterday. Yeah, we got a big list. Uh, we went through and made a big list of all the topics. Um, and it, it, you go through it, and it's, it's tough because some of them are, you know, you're trying to pick out little slivers. Like, for example, national defense would probably show up on all of our lists mm-hmm. at, in, in some way. Yes. But, like, how do you, do, how do you, you know, do you have to use two or three of your categories to get to national defense? Do you, you know, is it just the fight against ISIS or just the fight against Islamic extremism? Or? Can, I, can, I, can I suggest something that I bet is not on that list? And... I'm not sure if it's number one, but it, it, as I was thinking about this this morning, I was thinking, what is, what, if I had to make a priority, what would it be? And I mean, I'm worried there's going to be economic chaos coming. We're going to go through a depression. I don't want somebody to grab the reins of uh, the banking system and nationalize our banks. Um, Russia, I know that the, the right thinks I'm crazy on Russia, uh, and so does the left a little bit, but... Russia is going to play a very big, important role in the next few years. Um, uh, you know, Islamic extremism is going to play a huge role. But I think our biggest problem is constitutional, and it's not the constitutional that everybody would think. Balance of power has got to be restored. An understanding of the Constitution has to be restored. As I was thinking about the Constitution this morning, I thought the number one priority, domestic tranquility. National defense cannot happen without domestic tranquility. We have got to find a way to promote domestic tranquility because if what we've had um, for the last eight years is a guy who promoted division, what we have on the, on, the, on the stage now on both sides is someone who is promoting division. We don't make it divided. We don't. Abraham Lincoln said that. House divided against itself can't stand. That's what he ran was domestic tranquility of, of uniting. And we had to go through a civil war. Imagine if we would have gone through a civil war with his vice president who was screaming after the war on his second inauguration, get him. Get them. Go get the South. Round them up. Instead, Lincoln said, go back to your farms. Go back to your families. Let's heal the nation. If we wouldn't have had somebody like that, we wouldn't have recovered. I don't think we make it without domestic tranquility. If we don't have leadership that is showing us we've got to stand together and heal, I don't think we make it. I think that's true. Yeah. I think that's true. My only question on that would be like all of these topics factor into domestic tranquility, right? I mean, like it's not that's is that too broad a topic, I guess, is it would be my question on that. Because it's like, well, there are things that factor into domestic tranquility that I mean, if you can solve all of those things, you get domestic trans- tranquility. No, I don't think An umbrella. Do, because look, I mean, look, you know this from the left. Look how far the left has gone. And they haven't gone far. You haven't gone far enough. You can be on the left. You still haven't gone far enough. Hillary Clinton will give you a lot of the stuff on the left that the left wants. Uh, she's corrupt, so they know she's in bed with Wall Street, um, and they know that they're not going to go all the way. But look at how far they've gone, and it's still not enough. When we uh, talked about it yesterday, I thought about it, and the first uh, into your domestic tranquility, the first thing I thought of was, you know, I, th- I think number one on my list is I want someone who I actually believe 
still loves the United States of America. Because that's number one on my list. So that's yeah. I mean, that's really that tranquility. I, I think Donald Trump loves America. I, you mispronounced Donald Trump when you said America by there, right there. What? You, I think you meant to say Donald Trump loves Donald Trump, and you said America by mistake. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, he, let's hash that out here for a second. Now let's take not. a quick break. Nah, one thing he does know is we got to take care of the cyber. Yeah, yes, he loves the cyber. No. And now this: home security companies. Two ways you can go. You can choose big company, all wired into your walls, long-term contract, expensive monitoring, or simply safe. You buy it. You own it. Uh, it has no wires. There, are, there is no contract. Instead of paying $50, $60 a month, you're paying $14.99 a month. Hmm. I'm trying to figure out the downside here. This is the new way. Everybody's been playing the home security game the same way, and they've all been getting rich off it. Somebody came in and said, it's time to disrupt this industry, and it's Simply Safe. And they are taking off like crazy. In a store just the other day, saw Simply Safe as part of the store security. Um, I have it in my house, Simply Safe. Like having a guard stationed at your door. Protect your home the smart way. No contracts, you're in control, and $14.95 a month. Visit simplysafebeck.com. Go there now. You get a free sh- get free shipping on your order and a free keychain remote with $25. It's simplysafebeck.com. Control your own life. Simplysafebeck.com. Glenn Beck program. Triple eight seven two seven Beck. Mercury. So coming up in just a few minutes, uh, we have um, part two of our serial on uh, labor unions. Today it's all about violence, uh, the history of labor unions all this week. This is how we celebrate Labor Day. Mm -hmm. Nobody else does. Nobody Nobody else does, does, but we do. Mm -hmm. Uh, Happy Labor Day week, everybody. Uh, so that's coming up in just a few minutes. Also, Brad Meltzer is going to be with us. He's got a new book out on George Washington, um, but I really want to talk to him, if he will, do you know why he started doing his, his uh, history channel show? You know, where it's lost history and he tries to go find the lost history? Money? <laughs> Fame? No, he heard that the, nine, the 9-11 flag from the World Trade Center, the famous flag um, that they had that was in, I think, the mayor's office, uh, disappeared. And no one knew where it went. And somebody apparently had stolen it or lost it. The, one of the most important, it's like the Star Spangled Banner, one of the most important flags in our country's history, gone. They just found it. He did. Three years of research to try to find it and track it down, they just found it. And I think that episode is on next week on his show. I can't wait to mm. talk to him about it. Well, he's wow. probably not going to yeah. tell us much since it's... I bet he'll tell us some, though. I mean, I hope so. I hope so. I re- I mean, I, I, you know, he may he may not tell us. Hopefully, who had it. But I mean, maybe he'll tell us if it was stolen or if it was just misplaced. Hopefully, he doesn't say. Oh, and by the way, you're not going to believe how this one ends. 
Because you just said he found it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, is that, what if that's the reveal? No, he's the told us that. He's told us that before. Before I mean, on the I thought he's that found he's, it. I remember this no, story. No, not that he's found it, but that uh, they were looking for it. Yeah. I was just. I just saw a promo for nine eleven. Um, some nine eleven series that's coming up that specifically mentioned the flag and how they were still looking for it. Oops. <laughs> well, let's keep that to ourselves. <laughs> Hopefully he's busy on another interview right now, and let's all play dumb. Okay. <laughs> all right. Wow, do I have a fat mouth? Yep. Oh, you do. Yeah. I would make the worst spy ever. Yes, you would. Yeah. Usually spies are in better shape too. That's. Uh... <laughs> you don't think I could hang from the computer room <laughs> off the ceiling? Back in just a minute. Unions have been quite an influential force in America, and some of that influence has been very positive. Child labor laws, the eight-hour workday, weekends off. These are things that can be directly attributed to the labor movement of the late 1800s. The vast majority of union members are patriotic, hard-working Americans, but there is a seedy underbelly to labor unions that needs to be discussed and understood. Contrary to what most Americans have heard and probably believe, the Koch brothers and large corporations are not the largest political contributors. Unions are, by far, the largest financial contributors in politics, giving almost exclusively to Democrats, social Democrats, and progressive causes. But we'll investigate that on an upcoming episode. As we discussed last time, Unions have been the cauldrons of socialism, Marxism, and communism. But they have also fomented violence. At times, their Democratic allies in Congress have even encouraged it. Massachusetts Democratic Michael Cupano fired up the union crowd in 2011. Every once in a while, you got to get out of the streets and get a little bloody when necessary. Unions have been taking that advice for a long time. Some have even employed a mixture of Marxism and violence. They were the revolutionaries. One such group was the International Working People's Association. It became the center for national anarchist federations in the early 1880s and favored warfare against the capitalist society and its leaders. Soon, militant social revolutionary groups organized education and defense outposts their members meeting regularly and drilling with arms, the authors noted, adding that insurrection and terror against individuals was also advocated. Union violence broke out as early as 1877, when the Baltimore and Ohio Railroad cut wages for the second time in a year, and striking workers blocked the train tracks. 
Violence erupted in multiple cities from Chicago to Baltimore. There were street battles with federal troops, trains were damaged, and infrastructure set on fire. On May 4, 1886, at Haymarket Square in Chicago, yet another deadly encounter took place. Striking workers had clashed with police the day before, and four workers were killed. In response, union leaders posted signs all over town asking people to show up armed at the Haymarket, and thousands did. The demonstration started peacefully, but then, as police moved in to disperse the crowd, an anarchist threw a dynamite bomb at the police. Between the blast and the gunfire afterward, seven police officers were killed along with four civilians. In the resulting trial, eight anarchists were convicted of conspiracy. One of the men were believed to have built the bomb, but none of them actually threw it. Still, four of the men were executed, one committed suicide in jail, and the other three were pardoned in 1893 by the new Illinois governor. But one of the bloodiest labor disputes in U.S. history happened the summer of 1892 at the Carnegie Steel Mill office in Pittsburgh. The mill union wanted a new contract, but management locked them out instead. In the resulting chaos, Pinkerton guards fired on strikers, but were overwhelmed by the mob. Three of the guards surrendered, were disarmed, and then beaten by the mob. A total of seven guards and 11 strikers or spectators were shot and killed in one day. Later, a Russian anarchist named Alexander Berkman tried to assassinate Carnegie chairman Henry Frick in his office. In 1892, the deadly Coeur d'Alene miners' strike took place, and in 1894, the Pullman Railroad strike took 14,000 federal and state troops to put an end to it. In subsequent years, there were many, many more. And as the 20th century dawned, unions gained more strength and more allies. Progressives Woodrow Wilson and FDR were huge supporters of the unions and vice versa. Unions became enmeshed with another, even seedier ally during the 20th century. Mobs. The Mafia. From the documentary Unions and the Mob. New York's most notorious labor racketeer before Prohibition, the son of Jewish immigrants, was a young man named Benjamin Fine, who because of a medical condition that kept his eyes half-closed, was known to one and all as Dopey Benny. Well, Dobie Benny was uh, what was known as a, a starker, which was the uh, the Jewish term on the Lower East Side for a gunman. Uh, he was a major player in the Union Wars uh, on the Lower East Side uh, at the time, and he worked uh, for the unions uh, in a variety of uh, uh, measures, attacking uh, scabs, attacking uh, people who were trying to break up uh, demonstrations, uh, threatening people to enter the union and so forth. This early marriage of unions and mobsters was short-lived for Dopey Benny. Charged with homicide in 1914, Dopey Benny Fine, America's first labor racketeer, became the underworld's first stool pigeon. His information led to charges against 11 gangsters and 23 labor leaders. Others learned their lesson well from Dopey Benny. The 20th century labor wars opened up vast new territory to mafia influence and domination. Organized crime would move in on unions and employers nationwide, soaking up the wages and pension funds of union members while extorting huge payoffs from businesses in return for labor peace. The mafia would take control of major international unions and find its way into executive boardrooms. In its infancy, 
Labor racketeering was a matter of scattered beatings, goon squads, and petty extortion. It would soon mature into a formal part of organized crime when major underworld gangs took control. Gangsters were on the lookout for industries and unions with corruptible leaders. Their first big scores were in the trucking, building trades, garment, longshore, and restaurant unions. In every case, it would be the rank-and-file members who would suffer most. Sadly, the mafia continued to influence and, in some cases, control organized labor unions for decades. In 1982, a U.S. Senate committee concluded that in most major American cities, a majority of the locals of the International Longshoremen's Association, the Laborers' Union, the Hotel and Restaurant Workers' Union, and the Teamsters are completely dominated by organized crime. In 1935, Congress passed the National Labor Relations Act, essentially making it compulsory for Americans who didn't want to join a union to join a union if their shop voted 50% plus one for unionizing. Then, everyone who worked there had to pay union dues. Even that didn't lessen the severity of the union's vengeance against any who stood against them. From the 1981 documentary, The Scepter of Union Violence, Big Labor Persuasion. Neil Martin is a man who knows how it feels to have had a rendezvous with death. Martin exercised his right to work during a militant trucker strike. As a result, he was brutally beaten by union toughs and left permanently disabled with psychomotor epilepsy. One of them come around, had a picket sign in his hand, and at that time he tried to knee me in the groin area. He kneed me once, and I got rid of my hand truck, and he kneed me again. And at that time, he looked like he was going to hit me with a picket sign. So I decided that, you know, I better do something. So I backed up to get a little room. And when I did, I bumped into a guy on this side of me, on the right. And immediately I knew I'd been set up. I turned to the left, and when I did, there was a guy coming around with a stick from a picket sign like this. And he hit me in the head. At that time, I went down to the ground on my knees. I didn't go unconscious, but I went down. As soon as I hit the ground on my knees, the guy in front of me with the picket sign kicked me in the stomach. And I went over face first into the asphalt, busted my nose, started bleeding. And then they started kicking me in the side of the head and kicking me in the ribs and in the ear and neck. My doctor has described what I have as psychomotor epilepsy. Uh, go into an epileptic seizure, uh, bite my tongue, bite my gum, my mouth, inside of my mouth. Uh, I pass out on the floor, kick. Uh, I'm out for about 15 seconds, 30 seconds. But I'm out for about two hours afterwards, which I usually sleep. As for the guys that did it, they got off scot-free. Why not? Because the union paid for it. The union got lawyers. The union bought everything. That's pitiful. You smash a guy's head. You kick him in the face. You bust him all up. And the union says, well, because we got money in. That's the way it is. So they let him go. As for me... Here I am now, five years later. I can't get a job in this town because of the union activities. I don't have a driver's license. I can't drive around. I have all kinds of problems. I have to take all kinds of medications. Uh, what can I do? I can't get a job. I can't do anything. I'm, I'm, I'm screwed for life. In 1993, a non-union worker, Eddie York, striving to feed his family, crossed a coal miner's picket line and was shot in the back of the head at the entrance to the mine by United Mine Workers member Jerry Dale Lowe. For the cold-blooded murder, which left York's wife a widow and children fatherless, Lowe received less than 10 years, 8 months in prison. 
For his part, the then head of the UMW, now AFL-CIO chief Richard Trumpka, said, You had to be very naive to believe that if management brought in scabs, there wouldn't be something somewhere. He also said, I'm saying if you strike a match and you put your finger in it, you're likely to get burned. That doesn't mean I'm threatening to burn you. It just means if you strike the match and put your finger in it, common sense will tell you it will burn your finger. Again, this isn't an indictment of union members in general. However, the history and continued action of union leadership should be something that is known and understood. Next time, what kind of influence do America's labor unions with their mob ties, socialist and communist leanings, and waning yet still present mafia influence, impact American politics today. Glenn Beck. This is the Glenn Beck program. Amazing. You listen to that Richard Trumpka quote where, you know, he's talking about a guy who was shot in the back of the head. And, uh, hey, you know, you know what you got going for Put your for finger you. in a fire, you're going to get gonna burned. Get burn. I'm not saying I'm going to burn you, but uh, right. common sense tells you you're going to get burned. Here, here he is, one of, the top, amazing. one of the top guys to enter the White House under the entire Obama He's been there two to three times a, a week. week and talked to him every day. Right. Now, Hillary Clinton, just on Monday, she was praising him from the stage where she had the coughing fit. Right. I mean, he plays a huge role, and... You know, what does anybody care? Nobody cares. What does anybody care? Nobody cares. If you care and you want to know about uh, the unions and the role they play. um, Why do we even talk? Nobody cares. Let's go home. Yeah, let's just leave. Who cares and what's the use? I mean, the only thing that matters is the cyber anyway, because it's big. You know, the cyber is big. And uh, there's nothing we can do about the cyber. So anyway, um, (laughs) if you'd like to learn more about the uh, unions, tomorrow is part three and Friday part four. And uh, they are posted at glenbeck.com slash serials along with our podcast and everything else. Make sure you check them out and share them with a friend. Why did you switch topics? What are you resisting? Is it the collectivization of manufacture? I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. More like the institutionalization of the human (laughs) psyche, I would guess. I know. Just throwing that out there. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. You're trying to sell your house? Because I'd love to sell my house and move away from these guys. That hurts. Really badly. That hurts. Um, that hurts. Uh, if you're trying to sell your house, you want a real estate agent that you can trust, an agent who will tell you the real truth and then take, do what it takes to sell your home uh, and you can move on with your life. Real estate agents I trust um, is an organization that uh, I started with my brother. And we started it because both of us had really hard times selling our houses in good markets. But we had grabbed the wrong agent and then we were kind of strapped into the agent and had to have, you know, had to have that agent because if we switched, then we had, you know, we had to give them points and everything else. It was horrible. Realestateagentsitrust.com was born out of frustration that there's got to be a better way, that we could work with people who have our same values and principles that we could trust, and we're not going to just say whatever it took to sign, and then, you know, a year later, you're sitting there with a house. We have personally vetted all of these real estate agents, and one of the first things they have to be is they have to be a fan of the show. They have to actually listen to the show and know the show and be a fan because it's kind of a, an easy benchmark. You, you, generally speaking, you're not listening, unless you're with the Clinton uh, people, because we know they're listening. Hi, DNC. Um, you're generally not listening, unless you're being paid to. 
if you don't agree with us, at least somewhat on the big picture items. Realestateagentsitrust.com are the people that you can call and get your home sold fast and for the right amount of money. Realestateagentsitrust.com. Go there, where our individually selected agents will work to earn your business every single day, and they will put a, not a for sale sign, they'll put a sold sign in your front yard. Realestateagentsitrust.com. The Glenn Beck Program. Sign up for the newsletter and get all the info you need to know at glenbeck.com. Let me go to uh, let me go to Jack in Pennsylvania. Hello, Jack. You're on the Glenbeck program. Hi, Jack. Hi, Glenn. Hear me out here uh, for a sure. second. At Sue, you guys all hear me out. I think Donald Trump is the individual that can help lead us and transition us into that Abraham Lincoln type state. Where he can be the guy, and I know you guys are going to start laughing. I know. No, no, no. no. no, no, no. no, no. I want to listen to you. No, you're making sense so far. Okay, here no, we go. go. Ahead. That, mm-hmm. that for Donald Trump, that to to get through that period of chaos, mm-hmm. it often requires bloodshed. That you get the Lincoln because you get the Civil War. You get the post World War II period oh, because good. you get massive amounts of bloodshed. Never in history has there ever really been a transition where you move a people from a state of agitation to a state of peace without warfare, without real um, blood. 1960s. Yeah, but that's hippies. But we were still one country, yeah. relatively united. That We mm. were still a people that really. really was moving, and there was bloodshed. It just wasn't on a wide scale. Okay. We're a much different so, so people. So wait, but, but, but you have to understand that the leaders of the 60s, the leaders, Abraham Lincoln, uh, and even FDR worked overtime beforehand, especially Lincoln. He campaigned, you know, in the in the 1850s. He exhibited evidence that they were going to be healers. Right. They were healers to start with. They spoke about that. They came into the office as humble healers. Um, they haven't we seen that yet. America. Welcome to the Glenn Beck program. Next week, we have an incredible special on September 11th. A couple of people that survived both the World Trade Center uh, and the Pentagon, and they were there with the jet fuel dripping on them inside the buildings. Truly remarkable stories. But there's something else about September 11th. The famous September 11th flag um, that has gone missing and changed one of my friend's life because it went missing, apparently may have been found by my friend. We'll see if we can get some details on that. 
He's also come out with a couple of new books for kids. I am James Goodall and I am George Washington. We talk to Brad Meltzer beginning right now. of entertainment and enlightenment. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Brad Meltzer is uh, with us now. I noticed on the Jane Goodall book, I really do love this little book, Dr. Jane Goodall, but the I Am George Washington book, there's no uh, George Washington didn't endorse it. Must have uh, liked know, it, I'm, huh? I'm pretty disappointed in that one, too. Uh, yeah. it, I, was, I was really hoping. We, we don't think we didn't ask. Yeah, I know, I know. You, I mean, you probably hung out at his house and... Listen, if you're going to go, you're going to want to go to Mount Vernon, you might as well ask for a favor. That's right. That's right. How you doing, Brad? Uh, I'm good, my friend. How you doing? I'm very good. Um, I want to talk to you about your books, but I, I also, have you announced that, you know, what, what's happened with the 9-11 flag? Yeah, let's announce it. I mean, this is it, right? This is the moment that we've, I've been keeping this secret for the better part of two years. Oh, my gosh. Uh, waiting to tell people, but we didn't want to tell people until we could authenticate it. And uh, so, okay, yeah, let's so, do it. So, t- so tell us the story, because this is why you got into, you started doing your TV show because of this, right? This is, listen, you and I share one thing always. Our friendship is, you know, our love of history, and especially the artifacts of history. Mm-hmm. And I was just obsessed when I'd heard, and we've talked about it privately, of all these artifacts that had gone missing. Even George Washington's teeth have gone missing. They've been stolen from the Smithsonian. So we did a TV show called Brad Meltzer's Lost History. And I went on TV, and we, we would tell the stories. And then at the end, I would say, please, if you've seen anything, we'll give you a $10,000 reward. Bring us that historical item back that we talk about. And the very first episode, we told this amazing story from 9-11. And everyone remembers that on 9-11, at Ground Zero, the firefighters raised that famous flag. And at this moment of heartbreak for our country, here was a moment of hope. And we took so much hope from that moment. It really was one of those few moments where you just go, man, everything feels right. And what no one knew is that soon after, that flag disappeared, and, which is an incredible story. And we said, what do you mean the, the flag from 9-11 that the firefighters raised is missing? So we went on television, the very first episode of Lost History. I told the story. I said, please, if you have it, $10,000 reward, return it. Here's hey, now, hang on just note. a second. Hang, hang on just a second. This, th- there was like a replacement flag that people thought was that flag for a while, wasn't there? Yeah, let's talk about that. What happens is, is the flag goes up at, with the firefighters at 11 o'clock that night. We have footage that shows it came down. No one knows where it went. It, it was taken down. So we, everyone assumed it just you know, was taken down by the city. A few days later, the city of New York says, hey, that flag becomes famous, goes you know, in every picture around the country. They said, we want to raise it at Yankee Stadium. They let Rudy Giuliani sign it. They let all these politicians sign the flag, which I can't even believe you sign a flag. Um, but they let everyone sign it. And then they, that flag then goes, and people are so inspired, 20,000 people at the stadium, that it goes on a battle carrier, and all these troops, our dear troops, get to salute it. It inspires people. It's a great, amazing thing. The flag actually was taken from a yacht down by ground zero, and the owners of that yacht were a Greek couple. And this Greek couple, God bless them, they didn't want the flag back, even though it was theirs. They said, this is not ours anymore. It's, a, it's part of history now. We just want it in a museum. They said, can we use it, though, because we're doing a charity event. We'd love to talk about it and show people this moment of, of hope. 
And so they take the flag. They say, of course, the city of New York gives it back to them. They unfurl the flag. And sure enough, it has the signatures of Rudy Giuliani and the others on it. But they realize this flag, their flag was a three-by-five smaller flag. This is an enormous flag, which means that flag that flew in Yankee Stadium, that flag that went over and the troops saluted, was always the wrong flag. And no one knew where the real flag went, the real size flag went. So then what happened? Can you say? Yeah, so let's talk about it. So what, here's what, what else no one knew. So I tell the story on national television, on the History Channel, and on H2. And four days after that show airs, a guy, a former Marine, walks into a fire station in Everett, Washington, in Washington State, of all places, across the country, and says, identifies himself as a former Marine, says, I don't want your reward. I just want to do the right thing. This is the 9-11 flag, and I want to return it. And we get a phone call. And I'm like, you're telling me we aired this show, and four days later we got it back? I didn't believe it, Glenn, for one second. I thought, you know, there's, there's, you know I, I don't want to get my hopes up, and it can't be that easy. And so we start testing it. The, the, the real people who start the first investigation is the amazing police officers in Everett, Washington. The police force gets it. They put it under lock and key in a safe with a guard on it. And they start their investigation, and they bring us in because we're going to do our own investigation at the same time. We bring in the former head of the FBI's Art Crimes Unit. We bring in uh, these amazing uh, dust particle people who are experts on 9-11 dust. And we test the flag. And what I can announce here, and what we should talk about here, is we officially have found the missing flag from 9-11. It has passed all the tests. It has officially been verified we, in fact, are unveiling it, and it is now today going into the 9-11 Museum and will be unveiled there on display so that you can take your kids and you can take yourself and you can go there to this amazing museum and be inspired. And that was always the real goal, is to finally return it to where it belongs. That is fantastic. It's really cool. Just fantastic. How do, what, was the, what was the evidence that pushed it over the top? Yeah, no, that's, um, you ask the, uh, you, listen, we can trade bodies. I mean, this is exactly what my question was. I said, how, how, how do we know? And so I spoke, you know, there's three ways you verify something like this. You need forensic evidence, of course. You need either photographic evidence, and you want eyewitness evidence, someone who knows that flag and can say, yep, that's the one. It's like a three-legged stool. You, ideally, you get all three of those. Otherwise, you're kind of making a guess. So let's start with the forensic evidence. We tested it for the dust that was on it because we've got to know, what, you know what is, what's in there. And the forensic evidence, they explained to me, and we had the expert who does those cases for all the firefighters and the ground zero people who got cancer. They are experts in this dust. And he said the dust at ground zero is like a fingerprint. And he said it's made up of not just a building, but it's made up of jet fuel and made up, Glenn, of mm. human remains. Right. Oh. And he said the oh, only man. way to recreate that dust is you've got to recreate 9-11. So he said he's, he's, he would stake his house. There's no question this is from Ground Zero, which tells us, okay, that's mm. a flag that was at Ground Zero, but is it the flag from Ground Zero? So then we go to the uh, eyewitness testimony, and this is truthfully, Glenn, where we get lucky. And you're going to see, I, I should tell you, I'm going to simplify it here, but to see the full investigation, we're doing on Sunday on the History Channel at 10.30 p.m., we're doing a full-hour special on the investigation and what happened. And it's an amazing story. It's called The 9-11 Flag, Rise from the Ashes. And, um, but you'll see part of it is this is where we get lucky because the halyard is what helps us. And the halyard is that thing you attach to a flag to raise it up, mm -hmm. the kind of mm -hmm. tools and the clips and the, mm -hmm. and the eye, eye pieces. And that's where 
um, you know, it was like we were, it was just an amazing moment because most halyards are either they're gold or they're copper or they're silver or they're some color. And this halyard was very particular. It was handmade. It was made with two oh, separate wow. pieces, and no one knew that. And you can oh, only wow. see it in our high-definition pictures. So when we see that, now we're like, okay, clearly no one knows this detail. And, um, and we had, obviously, an eyewitness who was the second mate on the boat come and look at it, too. And you'll see her on the special as well, and her testimony is incredible to see. But I'm just, you know, floored by the fact that we can kind of return this gift to the American people and to these amazing heroes uh, how, who are out there. How satisfying is that, Brad? I mean, I know you saved the Superman house, um, and you have found other pieces of history, but this is a pretty big one. Yeah, how now, you know what? satisfying are you? I mean, it's kind of like, all right, I, I've, I've done something really amazing. You know, the funny thing is, is I appreciate you saying that, but to me, it, it is never me. You know, how many people, how many police officers, investigators, FBI guys, I mean, just people who, the, even the producers of the show, the show went off the air. Unless people demand it back, like, it's not coming back. We were all doing it because it was a mission for us. And to me, I still am in shock. I still, you know, for two years now, I've been sitting here going, it can't be it, it can't be it, it can't be it. And, I say, and then, you know, the guy from the FBI who works with us said to me, Brad, this flag has more authentication on it right now than most Rembrandts in museums. Wow. And I was like, are you kidding? I mean, and so it's, I'm still, the shock is really setting in because we've only been able to verify it and announce it. We only knew ourselves and got it to the 9-11 Museum in the last two weeks. So this is still kind of this amazing, fresh thing. And I can tell you, Glenn, I don't know if I ever told you the story, but, you know, I, I lost a, a dear friend in 9-11, a woman named Michelle Heidenberger. And Michelle Heidenberger was a flight attendant on the Pentagon flight. And she was my neighbor in Washington, D.C., when we lived. And the whole time we were doing this, I kept saying, this is for Michelle. It was for so many other people. But in my brain, you kind of got to, like, when, you, when, you know, when you're running a marathon, you focus on one thing. And I just was like, this is for her. And when I finally figured out that we had it, I called up her husband. And I said, Tom, who's a pilot, and I said, I, I just want to tell you, we've been looking for this flag, and, and it's for Michelle, and I just need to share this with you. And he said, you know, Brad, if you, said, if you told Michelle that it was for her, you know what she'd say to you? She'd say, good job, Brad, but you didn't do this for me. She'd tell you that you did this for the hundred women who were pregnant when 9-11 happened, for those children who don't have a parent in their household, and for all those survivors who were there, that's who you did it for. And it was one of those moments, Glenn, where it was like, you know, the universe was, had just stopped spinning and I was sitting there and it was just, that was the moment for me that was the, the reward of all rewards. Brad, let me change subjects here because you, you've written a couple of books and, and they're kids' books and they're Ordinary People Change the World, a series of uh, books that are great for your kids. Um, this one is I Am George Washington uh, and, and I read through it and um, it's a powerful book and the, the lesson in it to, in, on, on how to be like George Washington and I thought to myself, nobody's teaching this stuff. Nobody, nobody is teaching how to be George Washington or why to be George Washington, what that means to your life. Do you see uh, George Washington anywhere in politics today? Do you see? Listen, you, that, this is why I wrote I Am George Washington, is I was so sick to my stomach of my kids turning on the TV and seeing politicians, but never seeing leaders. We all know there's, de there's a difference between a politician and a leader, and I want my sons to know what a leader is. I want my daughter to know what a leader is. That what we have today 
running for office, is, they are not leaders. I mean, they are politicians, and it's disgusting to me. And I said that we need to return to the greatness of us. And the, the lesson, you know, each of these books, yes, is a history lesson, but you just hit it right on the head. I mean, literally, the, right on the head, it, you said it's a lesson on how to be George Washington. That's what's right on the back of the book. And the book is all, as you saw when you read it, is centered around the idea of what a leader is. And a leader isn't someone who's in charge. A leader is someone who takes care of those in your charge. That's what being a leader is, and that's what George Washington was. So you see the presidential candidates that are before us. We just had somebody say, because I I said, you know, I think my priority is constitutional. What I'm looking for a president right now, but it's it's the part that you most people wouldn't recognize as you know an important part of the Constitution, and that is to promote uh, domestic tranquility. We need somebody that can promote domestic tranquility. Right, we have um, the opposite of that in Donald. Right? We I mean, do. Let's just, let's just put Donald Trump in your head one moment, and let me tell you the story that's in the book, um, and that is you know George Washington, and I and I you and I remember privately talking about the story once, but. His greatest moment to me, and we talk about when he's younger, we talk about how, you know, and especially for my kids, I want it to be very clear that he's not some giant, you know, he wasn't the best speller, he wasn't the best athlete, he was a fine athlete, but he liked swimming and he liked fishing, he liked things that normal kids like, he liked to dance of all things. I have a daughter who dances, I have sons who can't spell, now they love George Washington because he's just like them, in their heads he's not some untouchable person, but he's a human being. And when you think of Donald Trump for a moment, George Washington's greatest moment comes after we win the Revolutionary War. And in that moment, King George, you know, he, George Washington can be the King of America. He's so popular. And King George of England says, well, what is George Washington going to do now? And they tell him he's going to go back to his farm. And King George says, if he does that, he will be the greatest man in the world. And that's exactly what George Washington does, and he does it again after his second term. It is his most heroic act. Mm-hmm. And it is that moment where he puts not himself first. Again, think of Donald Trump and what he would do in that situation. You can have all the power you want, sir. What do you want to do? George Washington puts our country first, not himself, and he has faith in us as a people and faith in us as a country that we will find our fate for ourselves. And that, you know, imagine someone like Donald Trump trying to do that today. And to me, we need to teach our kids what a real hero is. And this whole line of books is about helping people, giving them the ability to build a library of real American heroes for their kids and their grandkids and their nieces and their nephews. Brad, thank you so much. I appreciate it. All the work you do, and I appreciate your friendship. Um, Ordinary People Change the World is the name of the series. I am George Washington, and I am Jane Goodall. Thank you so much, Brad Meltzer. Back in just a second. Um, Let me tell you about uh, what's happening with Wall Street. Um, An analyst shared just this weekend, the longer that central banks force negative interest rates and wipe out the value of savings, pensions, and insurance accounts by denying them return on investment, the more attractive gold and other commodities become as a safe haven for maintaining flexibility. Still quoting, moreover, the closer the system comes to unraveling altogether, gold and silver remain attractive as a means of holding on to money with ready liquid exchange value. Forget about the unraveling. I think that's happening in the next four years, but forget about that. Um, Let's just talk about the central banks that are forcing now negative interest rates. That hurts the people who have money in the bank, who are saving money. What they're trying to do is get you to spend the money. And if you won't spend it, they'll just take it from you. This is where we're headed. (sighs) Do your homework. Please do it now. Please. The whole world literally can change overnight now. 
Call Goldline, 1-866-GOLDLINE, 1-866-GOLDLINE, or goldline.com. Read their important risk information and find out if gold or silver is right for you. 1-866-GOLDLINE. Glenn Beck. The fusion of entertainment and enlightenment. We The Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. Go to Anna in California on line three. Anna, how are you? I'm fine, Glenn. Thank you so much for taking my call. I've been sure. listening to you faithfully for over 10 years, my partner and I. Hmm. And I love you and the guys. I, I feel so bad. You feel so conflicted about this thing about Donald Trump. You know, I respect and admire you. I think you're a man of principle, a man of your word. You're a good man. But most of all, I feel that... Your decisions are guided by God, and you should stay with your instincts. I think you're doing the right thing. I don't oh, hate Donald Trump, but I am. I cannot vote for that man. Everything right. about him goes against what I believe, what many members of my family believe. I, I don't trust him. I don't think he's good for this country. I don't think that he is. I've seen him destroy people. I was for Cruz, and it's not that, oh, I can't vote for Trump because Cruz lost. It's that 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 sense of him wanting to destroy people and the dishonesty of of many people that I admired in the past, like Hannity, who said he would not vote for anyone who was not a true conservative. In my heart, I know Donald Trump is not even a Republican. Right. Everything about the man sort of repels me, I'm sorry to say. And, and if you have honesty and integrity and you look at what he's said and done throughout this whole campaign season, it's it's really ugly. I, I how can I just for the sake of the Republican Party just say I'm going to vote for Trump? He's lowered the standards. I hate to see what people will do in four years, what they will say and do, because what they're saying and doing now, are, the Republican Party has gone to Walensky tactics. In my, that's how I feel, and they're, they're just as oh, ugly and dishonest exactly as the right. Republican Party at this point. Anna, I think you're right, and, and I thank you very much for your call. And know that I, I haven't changed my point of view on that. I'm, I'm, um, I'm only conflicted because of the uh, vitriol on all sides, on all sides. Um, and I wish we could get past that, but I don't, I don't know if we can. Is that the right word? I mean, because I, 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 it's a great call, and, but I, I don't. This is not. I don't feel conflicted about this at all. Yeah, it's not. I'm it's, not like on the borderline of thinking I may have made the wrong decision. I mean, it's, oh, it I'm could turn that. out that that's the what happens. You never know. I mean, it, uh, you know. But I, I that this is not a borderline. I, no, it's issue. not a borderline issue for me. It is a. I wish I wasn't in this position. Yeah, that, absolutely. And where do we go from here, knowing that we yeah. can't vote for Trump or right. Hillary? And and trying how to figure gonna, out how, how do, do we heal put, that divide? How do we heal a divide on the other side? Because yeah. this is look. We're 60 days away from having to come back together. And it's, it is the death of the republic if we stay apart from each other. So how do we heal this in the next 60 days? 
You're listening to the Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. Beck program. Allergy season. That's it. So That's Milo, it. how do you guys do it? Any mouth? <laughs> Fat. Thank you for that. Milo Yapanopoulos. What's? How do you say his real name? Uh, Milo, not. whatever his name is. Yapanopoulos. Um, what is it? Yapanopoulos. Yapanopoulos. Uh, he is a guy who works with Breitbart. He is a alt right uh, guy. Yeah, I mean, I know his name because he's so, yeah. the guy who wrote that alt right story that was citing this. Uh, I guess this. The central place for alt-right thought was the yeah. guy who didn't like the Jews. Seriously, like, until recently, like in the last couple of months, never heard of the guy. No. Never heard of him. We heard of, I heard about him the first time when there was him, some, like, yeah, I, I, yeah, when there was something. He was up on stage. Up on stage, yeah. and I don't know, with um, yeah, it, with Crowder, uh, Crowder. Crowder. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> anyway, so uh, he was, uh, there, ABC News did a thing on him the other day, and some of the stuff he said you know, I agreed with where, you know, hey, we're we're being killed with, you know, political correctness and everything else. But the way he says things is is so flippant. And um, anyway, um, uh, so I, I saw this and I know who he is now and know he's connected to Bannon and Breitbart and I know what they stand for. Um, and so I wrote something this weekend. Let me just go over real quick. Um. Um, he said, you know, he's just looking for the truth and he wants people to just start conversations to find the truth. And so I said, you want the truth, Milo? You're a hurt 13-year-old boy. Now, when you hear, when you hear that, how do you think I mean that? That he's immature. Yeah. That he's, you know. Yeah, there's something, there's some, there's, uh, we've talked about this before, that there's something has happened to these guys. Um, Trump is the same way. Where yeah. you stop maturing at about 13. And, and then you act like you're 13 the rest of your life. The rest of your life. And there's something that happened to these guys. Yeah. You're, a tr- you're a hurt 13-year-old boy. I don't know what pain you had to go through to make you so cold and distant from any feelings of compassion and basic kindness. But causing hurt makes you into the monster that you probably are running from. Yes, society is screwed up. Yes, political correctness is out of control. And people do have the right to say what they want. But the question is, not can we. The question is, should we? You can hide behind anything that helps you sleep. And I'm sure that Steve Bannon helps you sleep. But at some point, you have to come to the realization that you have become the bully that hurt you so deeply in the past. I urge anyone who's a fan of mine not to dogpile on hate. You can't conquer darkness with darkness, only light. And hate is only defeated with love. Don't cry hate crimes. Don't try to silence him or anyone else because we all believe in free speech and the only speech that needs defending is the speech that one abhors. I abhor much of what Milo says as well as those he works for and represents, Breitbart, etc. 
Um, but they all have a right to their views, no matter how ugly others may get. We must not uh, become everything we stand against. I firmly believe that we are in the days of Bonhoeffer and Corey Ten Boom. The sword of the Lord came with us, uh, came to us with truth and love, compassion, kindness, integrity, honor, and love. They are the most powerful weapons we have because they can only be wielded by the righteous. A bad tree cannot bear good fruit. The tree of real-life trolls, be it online, in media, or in politics, is not a good tree, and it will not bear good fruit. This is the path of Robespierre and Jefferson and Adams. It is hard in the moment to see, but we as a nation must wake from our coming nightmare. Even Thomas Paine missed the signs of the French Revolution, but he even too was a patriot. Even the very elect will be fooled. This is the path taken by Russia in 1917 and Germany in 1930. We must distance ourselves from the populist and nationalist anger. At no time in human history has that led to a place of safety or freedom. I feel bad for those who are drawn in to this circle as they must surely be deeply wounded themselves. The sexism, racism, hatred for anyone that opposes their line of thinking time after time is being presented as something a desperate 10 or 13-year-old boy would do. We need to pray for those who feel this alone. This is the guy who got, the Ghostbusters guy, right? Yes. Okay. Okay. The guy who got kicked off of Twitter because of the Ghostbusters thing? Yes. So here's what he wrote yesterday. Now, I just want you to, was there anything mean about that? There there was. I mean, he he took some offense, obviously, to the 13-year-old boy thing. Okay, well, yeah, but. But was the I, rest of it, I thought, was... And I wasn't even saying... I wasn't saying silence him. No. I wasn't saying anything. I was saying it's more about us. Yeah. Again, the 13-year-old boy thing, he's known for getting kicked off of Twitter over Ghostbusters. Yeah. So when I put, yeah. But that just yeah. as a resume piece to, to right. your point, yeah. I don't know that... I mean, is this something that we would take seriously? Like that he would no. have... No, no, no. But I just... I, no. Uh, no, no, no. And I, I had no plan on re- revisiting this. But he wrote something okay. uh, yesterday that I really, I, I really want to share. <laughs> okay. I'm honored Glenn Beck, the Cheetos Duke himself, has specifically called me out. I guess Beck needed a break from a holiday weekend of reviewing the Blaze dire traffic numbers. <laughs> now, where did we first hear about me going out of business? When did we start hearing that? Oh, uh, Trump? Trump thing. Yeah, Trump thing. Mm-hmm. Um, in an article on his website and then put on Facebook, Beck accused me of being cold and distant from any feelings of compassion and basic kindness and causing hurt. Uh, that's accurate. Beck has no real re- reason to wade into this debate. Well, yes, I do. You said you said things that you hoped people would start a conversation. So you said things, and I'm disagreeing with your conversation, and using what you said and did to start a conversation with others saying we should not strike back, we should not play in this sandbox. I thought that was your goal, Milo. Um, The real reason he's attacking me in his trademark pathetic way is that I uh, recently revealed just how parlous, I think he meant perilous, the financial state of his outlet, The Blaze, is in my own Facebook post a week ago. Oh, no. no, Here's where I I wanted to make sure that we're on the record here because he's on the record. Revelation. My spies tell me that the Blaze, is, <laughs> the Blaze is desperately seeking a cash injection to stay afloat. 
The Yapanopolis spies are everywhere. Yes, and that if it doesn't get investment in the next couple of weeks, it's all over. Now, a couple this, of weeks? So this is... This, the, You've the, only got a couple of weeks? No, no, no. This was printed last week, so we only have this week. Oh, my gosh. Uh, but here's what I want, I want everybody to remember. So by I'm Friday, we're him, done. I'm going to give him until the end of September before I start calling it wrong. Or, okay. okay. You know what? I'll give him until Christmas. All right. I'll, you know what? I'll give... If I'm out of business in summer... I'll call that a couple of weeks. Next, that's how summer? wrong <laughs> and how not based in any fact or truth this is. Anyway, the company was looking at a dip loan last week. I don't even know what a dip loan is, um, but I can guarantee you we weren't looking at a dip loan. A loan that dipwads take out, right. in order, which to is only out. ever used in cases of significant financial distress. While other all other options are exhausted, it's really funny because yesterday I was standing in the hallway talking to one of the heads of my company, and we are uh, 45 days, our pay, our, you know, our, uh, what do you call it, our AP, um, our payable mm-hmm. is 45 days. The longest we have is 45 days. I've paid down $10 million of debt in the last two years. What kind of bad company does that? Did we fire people? Yes, because we were $10 million, or $13 million in debt. A company that I did not want to be in debt. Which you've talked about. We were living way beyond our means. I took control of the company and put it on a financial path to security. So, okay. So anyway. Why are you bothering me? Because I just, I'm tired of these lies. I'm tired of these lies done by Donald Trump and Breitbart. (laughs) I just want it out once. Um, I can't imagine who'd buy the company now. Well, it's not for sale, especially since all the big editorial talents are gone. Last significant person to jump ship was Jason Howerton, bye-bye, who I rate highly and who was, I am told, single-handedly responsible for the success of the written content on The Blade. Hi, Jason. I, I mean, he was good. Jason, too, but... Single-handedly? Single-handedly? No. Um, that's why Beck is mad. I'm only talking openly about the rumors dogging his failing empire... Sounds like Donald Trump. Because I have balls. Mm, okay. Read the comments on that post and you'll find former Beck fans puzzled over his turn to the dark side. I'm honestly anticipating him pulling a crazy stunt aimed at me along the lines of his Cheeto mask. No, there's a relevancy to, clause. There. Yeah, I yeah, would have no, to yeah. care about you, Milo. Yeah. I really would. It's a definite I would have to care about you. So anyway, um, I, I, uh, I just want him on record on this program that his spies have said we're over within two weeks. Uh-oh. And if not... So that's Friday. That was, yeah, that's, that was I mean, you're ago. giving him till next summer. I'm giving him till Friday. I give him till Friday. That was a week okay. ago. So if we're back on Monday, he's wrong. Period. Right. Okay. So... Put that in your pipe and smoke. Okay. Um, did you see this? I mean, I don't know. I was apparently reading other things. But uh, did you see the Libertarian Republic writing about you? I thought it was interesting. Uh, they... Some of this I agree with. I, it's positive for you, which is obviously rare uh, in the media. <laughs> um, Glenbeck is not the same guy he was a few years ago when he was at Fox News. Back then, he was all about widening the schism in our country by reinforcing the right and throwing uh, any kind of shade he could get his hands There's on. There's a the chasm. Left. A chasm. I don't think that's true. Summary. I mean, look, he's he's whoever wrote, I don't know who wrote this, but this the summer you're trying to summarize, and I can understand. I guess. Uh, I guess. You know. Yeah. But I mean, it's not. You did restoring honor. I mean, think about the things you were known about at Fox. You did a giant, a f- three or four, five hundred thousand people gathering in which you told people to not say signs or and or argue with the Black Panthers that showed up to protest. Yeah. I mean, you know, look at that event. 
look at the words you said. There's several events like this that you did, um, uh, you know, over the past few years. And I I don't I get the general. I get it. I get the general. Go after Obama. And I did say that I've added to the the, the divide. Um, Another uh, in other words, he was just a guy on the boob tube talking about how ugly the left was. Now, calling you calling it the boob tube with you on it is I mean, that's probably appropriate. Yeah, I have big boobs. Right. Um, The guy. The guy at Fox News is nowhere near the guy he is today, and his audience has undergone an equally impressive transformation. Today, he literally weeps about how far we've strayed from the originalist ideas born during the founding era. Again, you were doing doing that that. at Fox. I did founding a lot more. I know. We did founding fathers or Fridays, founding Fridays. Right. And you cried all the time. You've actually cut the crying back. I know. uh, Unfortunately. Gone dead inside. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, go ahead. Um, uh, Ideals at liberty, focused and steeped in freedom. Um, he, d- he decries injustice everywhere, not just when it fits into the conservative agenda. I think that's true. Yeah. Um, he uh, will throw any politician under the bus if they lie, ste- uh, lie, cheat, or steal, regardless of the RD after the name. I've always and done that. I think you've always done that. I mean, I you know. No, it's just been more vocal, and there's been more of them. We have no friends. <laughs> we have no friends. We are. I discussed this with my wife last night. She wasn't happy with me. Hmm. We are. I believe. Now we could say it is official, completely alone in our industry. Well, I mean, you consider, I mean, there's several still, Jonah Goldberg. I mean, he's not. No, but I say in our, in our national radio industry, national radio. Is there anybody? Um, Don't think so. I I don't think so. I mean, in case you missed the news earlier, Mark Levin, very, I, I find myself with no other choice, but I'm, so I'm going to vote for uh, Trump. Right. Voting his conscience. He, he was there. And I thought he was, but, and I, but, and I, oh, yeah, I, I yeah. agree with his thinking for him. Right. I think he's absolutely right and do it, and I honor him for that. But again, Levin will continue to criticize Trump this whole time. Oh, my gosh. I mean, yeah. he, you know, despite yeah. the, I mean, he's, you know, yeah. certainly plugging He in. said, I'm not taking any responsibility for him. For any of the crap he says, I believe, was the yeah. quote. Yeah. <laughs> so, and he's, you know, but I mean, you're right. Yeah, like, I, it's, I don't know. There's not, there's not many. Um, you know, there's some uh, really, uh, you know, we've, we've, We've met uh, a few uh, hosts around the country, uh, Steve Deese and uh, yeah. Charlie Sykes. Uh, yeah. Would be a couple that would come pop to mind. Have been very strong on this, um, and you know they're. But look, every it's funny because on social media you get. Uh, there's tons of this audience that are constantly saying, "Thank God there's somebody standing for yeah, I know, I blah blah." It. it happens all the time. So I, I don't mean to. We always skip over those people, which is a bad idea. Uh, but the people who do criticize us give us one of two criticisms. One, your business is failing because you won't go with Trump uh, and you, you, you've been exposed as some uh, horrible person and you're, you're all going to be bankrupt and get your resume ready. Mm-hmm. The other side is all you're doing is you're, you're, backing, uh, you're, you're not backing Trump because you want to line money. your pockets and you're going to be rich and all you care about is money. Yeah. And, <laughs> and so simultaneously well, these the two criticisms that, come. No, but, but the good thing is there is a third. I'm crazy and drunk. Yeah. So that's why I'm doing both of those. Right. Which is really, <laughs> really weird. Right. I mean, look, the path to individual financial freedom does not run through opposing the Republican nominee on talk radio. That is not the, the that's not the easiest way to make your fortune. However, I think long term, these things pay off. You've done this many times throughout the history of this show in which you've disagreed mm-hmm. with what a lot of people in the audience believe. And, uh, you know, long term, it pays off. But, you know, there's it, at times it's tough. Long term always pays off. Just depends on how long term it is. But, but sticking with your principles 
always pays off. And I think we're in a time period now where people are remembering who you were and what you said. Sponsor this half hour is Liberty Safe. Uh, according to the Wall Street Journal, German savers are leaving the security of savings banks because now uh, they're getting reverse uh, interest. If you keep your money in a bank, they're taking your money from you and you're having to pay them 2% to keep your money in it. That's stupid. So people are buying safes and they're really, really hard to uh, find now. Liberty Safe's number one for a reason. They're tough. They've survived dynamite blasts, drop them from 200 feet. They survive, and the competitor's safe breaks apart. Liberty is offering rebates of up to $250 now at libertysafe.com. Promo code Glenn, libertysafe.com. Do it now. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. Welcome to the program. I don't know if you saw um, Ann Coulter's comedy routine at uh, the roast of... Oof. Is that what we're calling it? Ooh. Comedy she routine. died about 10 million deaths. I will tell you, Brave... That was uncomfortable. Brave? Yeah. To go into the lion's den like that? Uh, yeah. I mean, foolish. I, I don't, but... Uh, oof. Looked oh. bad and... Uh, uncomfortable. Uncomfortable to watch. So I don't know what she got out of that. But that's the kind of stuff she likes. Yeah. She likes yes. going in and swinging hard. So if you haven't seen that yet, you can see it on the front page of theblaze.com. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. Mercury. 